0: I'm Carson Horn, and it's Wednesday at 10, which means it's time for Talkin' Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper, and let's get rolling. Welcome in to Talkin' Tumors on this windy Wednesday on the Plains. I'm Carson Horn. Thank you all for tuning in, whether live or on podcast. We're talking Auburn basketball. We're talking Auburn baseball. It is still a very busy time in Auburn sports, as I mentioned, and it's only going to get crazier through next week. Spring practice is now less than a week away for Auburn football. That will start on Monday. So next Wednesday we'll have a little bit more coverage on football. But, man, we've got too much to talk about of ongoing sports really dive into spring football at the moment between basketball and baseball. We are jam-packed and we're going to start today with the bad news. We've got good news, we've got bad news, but you're not getting the choice. I'm sorry I chose it for you and so therefore we're going to start out recapping Auburn's gut-wrenching loss at Vanderbilt on Saturday night another, another close loss for this Auburn team when it seemed like they have finally turned the corner after the 30-point victory over Missouri. Will they lose in the final seconds in Nashville? So we're going to dive into that game, and then we'll talk Auburn baseball on the weekend that was for them, and then we'll preview the two games coming up for Auburn basketball this week against Old Miss and Kentucky, and we'll close with a hot topic of the week, some possible rule changes coming to college football. But let's start with basketball. Auburn lost this game to Vanderbilt sixty seven to sixty five on a last second lay in by Vanderbilt. This was a game that I was worried about. I mentioned that on the show last week. I was nervous going up to Nashville is not an easy place to play in that weird arena arena and floor there, and also Vanderbilt's playing good basketball. They have been playing good basketball leading up to this game, and they continued that against Auburn. This team did, Auburn, speaking of Auburn, they did a lot of things well in this game. They defensively, they held Vanderbilt to lessen their normal scoring average. They defended the three point line well for the most part. I know Vanderbilt made around seven threes, but that they forced them into a lot of tough shots. I thought that they, they played as well as they could, uh, defending the three point line. But offensively, the guards were horrendous. They, Auburn's guards were horrendous. I mean, the front court can't say enough about Jani and Jalen and the performance that they had. Jani had ended up with 20. Jalen ended up with 17. But you gotta get something out of your guards. I, I mean, just looking at the stat sheet here, Wendell Green, has been playing outstanding. I've heaped praise on him. I've fussed about the criticism that has come to him. He was due for a bad game. Unfortunately, when he has bad games, usually they are really bad, and it came in a spot where Auburn really didn't need him to have a bad game. It had been really great that he was playing so well, but he had a rough game, finished with five points, shot two for 14 from the field. Allen Flanagan, two for six, only five points. Sepp Jasper only shot one shot, zero points. Uh, Katie Johnson, of course, made the big three at the end, but he had three points up until that shot. He finished with six in the game. Your biggest contributor, as far as guards went, was Leor Berman off the bench, who had eight points and uh with three for five from the field. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it in the SEC if you're going to win games, especially on the road. And again, this is the Vanderbilt team that had been playing well. They continue to play well. Their guards have dominated Auburn's guards. Some of what i read previewing this game was that this was a game where I think a lot of people had a lot of confidence in Auburn's guards to really have a big night and thought it would be more of a challenge for the front court because of Liam Robbins there for Vanderbilt. What well, ended up being the opposite, and, and give credit to Vanderbilt's guards for how they defended, uh, especially how Manone defended Wendell Green, just an absolute master class. He was the one that made the, the uh, layup there to win the game for Vanderbilt at the end. The guards have to be better. It's point blank, have to be better. Uh, it, that was coming off a game where everyone was really on against Missouri. And Wendell Green's a catalyst for this team. He just is. When he's having an off night, it's hard for this Auburn team to win. I have mentioned hundreds of times, it feels like, on the show, that the margin of error for this basketball team is thin. So when one of your best players... Isn't on. It's hard for this team to come out with victories, especially against a solid team like Vanderbilt. And Auburn really needs—they need Jani to play well. They need Wendell to play well. They need Jalen. And I and I talked about earlier in the season who I thought this team depended on if they were going to win. That's Alan Flanagan. That's Wendell Green. And that's Jani Broom. And then Jalen Williams has really been in that role. Not every single one has to be on, but the majority have to be on. You need at least three out of four of those guys to be playing at a high level if this team wants to win. So Wendell Green, I don't want to harp on him too much because, like I said, he had been playing really, really well. He was due for a tough game. He had it here. Hopefully he's able to turn the page and that doesn't happen again. Auburn shot at a higher percentage than Vanderbilt uh from, uh from from the field. They shot 43%. Vanderbilt shot 35%. But like I said, just not enough, uh, from this Auburn team and, uh, Vanderbilt pulls out, uh, the victory. Another key though in this game defensively was the fouling. And, and that's a problem with this team. That was a problem last year. That it, part of it is because of the way that these this team plays and last year's team played. And part of that's Bruce Pearl's philosophy. He wants his defense to be aggressive. He wants them to go for turnovers. He wants them to go for block shots. And that's really good. That's important for this team. Especially this team needs to be able to get out and transition offensively. So getting turnovers, getting steals, getting blocks, that's very, very important. But what comes with that is a lot of fouls. And I know there's been frustrations with officiating from Auburn fans. I get that. I've been frustrated myself. But I, I will agree this team is going to foul more than the majority of teams because of the way they play. And the aggressiveness pays off, but it also costs you. It costs this team this game because Liam Robbins shot 17, well, 20 free throws and made 17 of them. That's an absurd number. And Auburn did not get into the bonus in the second half. That just can't happen. Yet again, the free throw discrepancy killed Auburn. Auburn shot 10 free throws. Vanderbilt shot 27. There's a 50, Auburn made 5 out of 10, Vanderbilt made 20 out of 27. So there's 15-point differential there in free throws. That has killed Auburn in multiple games. It killed Auburn again. That's another thing that's a huge difference maker in close games. And so I, I put this question here, why can't Auburn win close games? Why can't they finish games? Part of it has to do with this. Part of it has to do with their inability to get to the line. Wendell and Katie have done it. In some games, have done it well, being able to get fouled, get to the line. You saw it some in the Alabama game, but it didn't continue. At the end of the Alabama game, Auburn was unable to get to the line. You saw it here against Vanderbilt, unable to get the free throw line at the end of the games. I think that is a big factor that's, that I think Bruce has talked about some, but not being harped on enough. And then part of it, just this Auburn team has gone cold to end, in, in, in stretches of games. But overall, it's hard to answer exactly why. Auburn steel despite things and not being able to come out with a close win in in, in these last, you know, 7-8 games. It is frustrating, I know. It's tough on these players. They've gotten down uh, a little bit, I'm sure about it. But like I've said, I I feel like eventually this is going to pay off. But something's kind to flip in their mind that when they get to a, a game that's coming down to the wire, it's not to a mental, "Oh no, here we go again. We're going to lose another close one." No. It's look, we've got the opportunity to finally win a close game, not the the worried mindset of, oh, no, we're going to lose another one. I don't know. I'm not in that locker room. I don't know what their mindset or what their mindset was at the end of the Vanderbilt game. Was it this fear of here we go again, or was it here's an opportunity, and they just weren't able to capitalize on it? I don't know. That's for the staff and those players to answer and and prove that they can win uh, tough games on the road, at home, whatever it is, when it comes down to the wire. I believe they're going to get an opportunity this week, and we'll talk uh, more about that. And they're probably going to get some more opportunities in these final few games. And and I said a few weeks ago, eventually this is going to pay off. These close losses are eventually going to pay off. It, I thought maybe the Missouri game was the turning point. I'm not sure, though, that it has until they're able to win one of these close games, which I, I don't have all the answers for why they can't finish. Certainly there has to be some criticism going uh, to Bruce Pearl. And he, he owns that. He owned the way the Vanderbilt game ended for some of their offensive sets and for the defense there at the end. And, and that's what he has to do as the head coach. He has to own up um, to the, to those situations because he's ultimately in, in charge of who's on the court and what Auburn is running there. They got to figure it out. They do. They have to figure it out. Um, but I believe they will. I still have confidence in this team. This has been tough to, to be one and let's see, you're at seven and two, uh, before in the, before the stretch really run of losses happened. And now you've only won one other SEC game. You've lost four, uh, you're one and five in your last six games. It's brutal. It, it, it's brutal. It's been a tough stretch. But again, luckily Auburn did well at the beginning of the season where it was able to put themselves in a good spot. It's been a rough stretch, and it's not getting any easier. You've got Ole Miss, but then you've got the, the gauntlet again to finish the season. We'll talk more about that later on. But let's talk about where Auburn sits currently in the NCAA tournament. I said last week, I felt that Auburn, to get in the NCAA tournament, needed to win two of these last five games. So now you've got four games remaining, and you lost the game that I thought was a pretty much a must-win against Vanderbilt. Luckily, the bubble's really weak this year, meaning that the teams on the bubble don't have strong resumes, uh, have a lot of bad losses. So luckily for Auburn, Auburn has avoided a lot of bad losses. They don't have a ton of quad one wins. But because the bubble's weak, they've been able to stay in the tournament even with that loss against Vanderbilt. Also, it's helped that Vanderbilt beat Tennessee at home, that they're playing better. Uh, that kind of, that plays a role into it as well. And Auburn's close losses help too against these, uh, high ranking opponents. Uh, and Auburn's standing did not fall much in the net rankings, which is also used heavily in the NCAA tournament for seeding purposes. So Auburn's still in the tournament. They're sitting at, depending on what bracket or bracketologist you look at, they're sitting at around nine to a ten seed. So still around the bubble, but still kind of off of it. A loss to Ole Miss would pretty much do you in. And we'll talk more about that game uh, coming up in the third segment. That would probably do you in. But there's a chance that Auburn could just win that Old Miss game and then possibly still get in even with three straight losses to the end of the season. I know that's almost unfathomable, but because of the level of opponents Auburn is playing, there there's a solid chance. Two wins though. A win against Old Miss tonight and a win in just one win against either Kentucky, Alabama, or Tennessee to close out the season, and, and Auburn's sitting in a good spot. Uh, I'm surprised, like I told you, I thought that two wins would, would get you in, but may make you feel a little bit nervous on Selection Sunday. It looks like maybe now it's just one win, and then you're feeling a little nervous on Selection Sunday. Two wins, and maybe you're feeling good, and uh, you're just looking at what the seed uh, could be. So we'll see. I it really does come down to the regular season because the tournament, you know, Auburn has some opportunities in the SEC tournament to get another big win against a possible quad one opponent. However, the tournament really doesn't play much role into the selection committee's process unless you win it. You even saw Auburn back uh, in their final four year was a five seed going into the tournament um, and going into the SEC tournament in projections. They won the SEC tournament and were still a five seed. So, again, it doesn't have much of an impact. Texas a and last year. I thought they should have been in the tournament. They were playing great basketball. They made it to the SEC Tournament Championship. Obviously, they beat Auburn. They didn't even get into the NCAA Tournament. So, it doesn't matter that much. That's why it's important to finish out the regular season the best you can. Again, the good news is I was worried that Auburn may fall to the, you know, out possibly of, of the tournament with that loss at Vanderbilt. They did not. So, that is a that's the good news. They need to get this win, uh, coming up tonight, and then we'll see what happens moving forward. Again, this is something we'll, we'll talk about again next week, as next week will be the, almost, not quite, to the final week, uh, of the season, but this is something we'll, we'll, uh, discuss and see where Oliver is sitting after two, uh, big games. Excuse me, it will be previewing of the last week of the season. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week and see where things stand. Uh, in the NCAA tournament, we're going to have more basketball coming up on the third segment here of Talking Tumors. But when we come back, we are shifting gears to Auburn baseball. So make sure to stay tuned here. We'll be right back. No matter how large. forced to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Talking Tumors here on Weagle. so Auburn opened up their baseball season this past weekend at Plainsman Park against Indiana. The Tigers went on to win the series. They won Friday and Saturday. They did lose, got whooped really, on Sunday uh, against Indiana, but Nonetheless, just a really good start to the season to get a win, uh, get a series win, uh, to open up play. I think that is the, uh, I think Butch Thompson is still undefeated on opening day as Auburn's head coach. That's a great stat for him, and it was a great opportunity to uh, go ahead and start building uh, that resume. We're talking a lot about resume in basketball. It's important for uh, baseball as well. We know that the SEC is absolutely loaded. Nearly every team in the SEC is ranked. Nearly every team in the SEC will have an opportunity to play in, uh, the postseason. Whether that's, you know, regional, super regionals have a chance to make it to the College World Series. So it's important to get some good non-conference wins. Of course, Indiana with their weather, that's why they, they like to travel early in the season down south a good opportunity for them as well. They had some really good players, uh some really good returning guys in that lineup. Uh, so I just want to talk a little bit about some of my takeaways uh from this series. Auburn played last night important to note against North Alabama in Huntsville. They won that game by the 10-run rule, which has now been instituted into college baseball, and I think that's a good thing. I think that should be that way, maybe even at professional level as well, uh, in my opinion, but it is uh so Auburn played well last night, but I'm talking more about this series. That game was not on TV. I had no way to really watch it. I read up on the stats from it. Uh but I want to talk really about this Indiana series and then we'll mention a little bit about uh USC series coming up this weekend. So the my first big takeaway is true freshman catcher who's DHing right now for Auburn, Ike Irish is an absolute stud. He hit 500 in this series. He's he was SEC co freshman of the week. Just a phenomenal player. He's a lefty, uh, great, great power. Um, just I mean, every time he comes up to the plate, you're you're confident in him. He looks good. He's a very good athlete. I think he stole one or two bases, if I'm not mistaken, in this series as well. I mean, I I don't think Auburn could have asked anything more. He's got big shoes to fill. Look, he's hitting in the three hole. Um, you know, Sonny DeShera hit around hit around two at a three hole last year. Um, and so I'm not saying he's going to be to that level, but I would be surprised if he's at Auburn more than a year. I think he's well on his way, uh, to being a highly rated draft, uh, highly, uh, rated player at the next level, drafted fairly high in the MLB draft coming up after this season. Uh, but, so, Auburn fans enjoy him. I certainly am going to enjoy watching him. I don't know if Auburn plans to play him at catcher or not, or just DH. I'll talk about Nate LaRue here in a minute. Uh, there's a possibility maybe he could play some first base, but right now, looks like Auburn likes him at DH. He DH'd again last night in the game against North Alabama. Uh, so, Again, it's hard. I want to be careful here because you don't want to take too much just from one series. Because everybody can have a great series. Everybody can have a great game. Baseball is a long season. So taking too much from one at bat, one game, one series, uh, you, you can make a player out to be better than he is. You can make a player out to be worse than he is by, by doing that. So I want to be careful and putting too much pressure on Ike Irish or the expectations that you should have for him. But he—he's a stud. He's a stud, and he's not necessarily going to hit 500. He won't hit 500 in every series that he uh, plays in uh, this season. But I would not be surprised if he's a around 300 hitter this year uh, for this Auburn team, and it's going to be a big difference maker, no doubt. The other guy who stood out was Bryson Ware. He came in at third base. That was not something I was expecting. I talked about. Uh, who I thought was possibly going to play third base. What ended up being Bryson Ware moving in from the outfield where he has played for Auburn in the past, moves into third base. He had a really great series at the plate. He had a great night last night. He's actually leading the team in batting average hitting, uh, 667, uh, right now on the season, uh, on, uh, OPS is, uh, 1.78. He is, uh, Having a hot start to the season. That's great to see someone who wasn't a starter last year for this Auburn team. He played a good bit last year, but he did not start. So to see him come in, be the starting third baseman, moving in from the outfield, and to see him hit like he has, really great sign for this Auburn team. His defense, he made a couple errors this weekend. He did. Look, that's going to happen. He's going to be fine there at third base. I I, I don't have worries about him. He's not going to be a, a phenomenal third baseman, I, I, I wouldn't expect. I think that's too much for someone who's been playing the outfield moving into the infield. And third base is not an uh, easy spot. You know, as it gets his name as the hot corner. I played there last year. Uh, I-, I liked it, but it is a tough position and uh, you get a lot of, you know, between the slow rollers that you get that you have to deal with to the, the hot, hot shots. He made a couple errors. Um, but he also made a couple of really good plays over there as well, and that's important to mention. He'll improve as the season goes on, but certainly great to see him stepping up and hitting well. A uh, great sign, as I mentioned, for this Auburn team uh, to see someone who wasn't a huge wasn't a contributor last year, wasn't a huge contributor, to see him stepping up, have a great series. Maybe that continues and maybe he is one of the biggest contributors to this Auburn lineup this season. Another returner, John Armstrong, looked good out of the bullpen this weekend. For Auburn, he also uh, pitched last night. He has not given up a run yet. Uh, in his two appearances, he's pitched 4.2 innings, only given up one hit. Uh, so he's doing, uh, he has, uh, five strikeouts, one walk. It's a really good start to the season for him. He's gonna be an important reliever out of the bullpen this year for this Auburn team as they still try to figure out what's, what are the late innings gonna look like, especially going into SEC play. So a good, good start for John Armstrong, uh, this weekend. And then Joseph Gonzalez, how about the outing he had? Butch Thompson, Said he expected him to, you know, throw two to three innings. But his pitch count was so low that he ended up being able to throw five. He only gave up two hits. Got a lot of weak contact, which is what he's known for. Look, his stuff is not... I mean, his velocity is not insane. He's going to throw mid to upper 80s. But he's a great locator. Has good off speed. And he's able to, like I said, get hitters uh, to chase. And to get them to uh, turn over a lot of weak ground balls. Uh, He is going to be Auburn's ace. Now, whether they use him as an ace or they use him like they did last year as the Sunday guy remains to be seen. He pitched on Saturday this weekend. We'll see what Auburn does within this upcoming weekend against USC and moving forward, but great to see him picking up where he left off. I love Joseph Gonzalez. He's a phenomenal pitcher, so I'm I'll, I'll very excited to see him pitch as well as he did and end up being able to go five innings. Uh, we'll see if as Auburn continues to stretch him out, if he pitches that efficiently, though, he could have nearly gone a complete game if this was late in the season, with how he was throwing. So, how did the newcomers fare this weekend? Is probably a question that a lot of you have. I already mentioned Ike Irish and the 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 series that he had and uh, the expectations I have for him, but the other guys want to talk about Justin Kirby. He's batting fourth. Playing right field, uh, for Auburn. He was the, uh, transfer in from Kent State. He had a good series. He had two home runs, I believe, in the series. Um, his batting average is not great. So he was a little bit of a home runner bust there, uh, a little bit, uh, this weekend. He was hitting, uh, 182, including last night's game. But nonetheless, you can see that he's got power. That's something that could be lacking a little bit in this Auburn lineup. I think Ike Irish has some. I don't know, though, that he's going to be a big-time home run hitter. So getting that, getting some power there from Kirby in the four-hole uh, is going to be a big deal, I think, for Auburn. But also, you'd like to see him improve that average and get that average up. But again, it's still early on the season. That was just the opening uh, series. Uh, for Auburn. At second base, you had the Juco transfer, Caden Green. I was really impressed with him. He hit two for seven in the series. He looked really good defensively. He's someone that may possibly, because of his speed, a uh, smaller guy for a typical second baseman build. Someone who could possibly move up, uh, in the lineup, if, if Auburn so desires, into like a two hole, uh, even. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, it was a tough series, uh, getting off, topic here a little bit on newcomers. It was a tough series for Cole Foster. Uh, he only had one hit in the, in, in the series, I believe, went one for ten. Uh, you know, moving from second base to shortstop. I'm not concerned about that though. He'll get it going. He's a really good player. Uh, Kasen Howell also a little bit of a, of a, uh, colder series for him too. Two, two returning players who have been part of this Auburn baseball program, uh, for multiple years now. They'll get it going. Those are both, uh, solid players, uh, for Auburn. And then Cooper McMurray at first base. He went 1-for-6. He did have four strikeouts. Uh, he's got the bigger build. He played against righties. He's a lefty. It looks like Auburn's going with the platoon system, at least for now, with their first basements. between Cooper McMurray playing against righties, Brody Wardham playing against lefties. He went 0-for-3 with two walks uh, in the series. And we'll see how that continues. The Auburn's going to need some decent production. Out of first base, I am a little bit concerned. Uh, Again, like I mentioned, maybe if you struggle to get the production you want from the first baseman uh, between Cooper McMurray and Brody Wardham, maybe it's something you look at, putting Ike Irish there. Maybe looking at a bat like Mike Bellow, who did not play this weekend at all, who was a starter last year for Auburn, uh, partly because of Justin Kirby coming in there, I believe, into the outfield, pushed Mike Bellow out of the lineup. But maybe you, you, if you're not getting the production, you won't. If I, if Ike Irish can do it defensively, that would be the question. We'll see, uh, what kind of production Auburn's able to get out of the first base position. That's something I am watching, uh, moving forward. As for the, uh, true freshman pitchers, uh, it, it wasn't a great showing for Drew Nelson out of Pike Lib. He had, did not make it out of the first inning, had three walks, gave up two hits, four earned runs, uh, got two outs. His stuff is good. It, it, it he looks really good. He looks apart. It's a lefty, but his command was off. And the command was off also for Chase Alsop, he, who made the opening day start for Auburn. Uh, moving from the bullpen last season to a starter role. Uh, so it's not uncommon, especially early in the season, for your, for your command to be, for you to be a little bit rusty. So I'm not putting too much stock into Drew Nelson's rough outing, especially it being his first collegiate start. I really did think though that Zach felt he may end up being the third starter would get the start this weekend he didn't we'll see what happens in the USC series but Zach Crossfield did come in in relief in this game and pitched very well through 3.2 innings 4 Ks gave up 3 hits one walk uh I, he's got really good below throwing about mid 90s uh, he uh is a righty i like him a lot um but again i don't want to judge Drew Nelson too harshly in his first collegiate start i i think Auburn certainly will and should give him another opportunity and multiple opportunities to continue to grow and develop. Obviously there is a reason that he got the start. He must look best uh in the fall and uh leading up to the uh opening the opening series. And then Hayden Murphy we didn't see much of the other true freshman pitcher competing for that final starting spot. Uh so really not enough for me to really give any thoughts uh on him there. Again, I mentioned Chase uh also did not have a great start, only threw two innings on opening day. Uh A little bit, he struggled with his command as well. That's something that, you know, again, I'm not putting too much stock into this early in the season. And a couple of notes I want to hit. I already mentioned that Mike Bellow did not start. Uh, Did get a pinch hit at bat last night against North Alabama. Cole Foster, I mentioned only having one hit in the series. But then Nate LaRue is someone I wanted to talk about. Look, Nate LaRue is a great defensive catcher. NFL, uh, NFL. MLB scouts love him because of his defense. Uh, he is a next level MLB, uh, level, uh, defensive catcher. There's a lot of criticism on him last year justifiably because of his hitting, and his hitting's been very poor, and he went hitless in this series. He started opening day batting fifth, Auburn moved him down back to eighth, more of where he's, uh, hit last year. His stance is different. Here's what I'll say about Nate LaRue. He had about three, I'm thinking, you know, I was I watched every single game I was at two of them. He, I want to say he had about three uh, balls that he hit really well, hard shots. Uh, one that was just a great defensive play, two that were hit right at people. So he made good contact. It wasn't like he was up there completely lost at the plate. There's a difference. Sometimes you have bad luck. He had some of that. He had some bad luck at the plate. You could tell he was very frustrated with things I know that Auburn fans are going to be quick to jump on him because of the hitter he was last year. Be patient. He changed his stance. He didn't look lost at the plate. He made some good contact. I still have confidence that he's going to get it figured out at the plate as long as he keeps things, doesn't go too mental up there, uh, continues to be confident in the adjustments he made during this offseason. I like Nate LaRue a lot. I'm cheering for him. Maybe he has a big series at the plate against USC this weekend. He didn't play last night. He caught all three games of this series uh, against Indiana. So like I mentioned, Auburn will play USC. That was supposed to be at USC due to some weather out there in Southern California. They are moving this series now to Plainsman Park. So that'll be exciting to have that game here, have that series here in Auburn. Uh, big opportunity and another big non-conference opportunity for Auburn to build and pad that resume uh, moving forward. So we'll talk more about that series uh next weekend, but I'm looking forward to that. With that, we've got to go to break. When we come back, we will be previewing Auburn basketball's games this week. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors here on Weagle 91.1. The Alabama Securities Commission regulates the investment West kids and the ad council. Welcome back to Talking Tumors now here on Weagle 91.1. Tonight is the second to last home game in Neville Arena for this Auburn basketball season. It's crazy to think how fast this the season has gone by and to think that this there's only one more game in Neville Arena after tonight. It's an eight o'clock tip, which I loathe. Luckily Auburn has avoided a lot of late tips this season. That is a good thing. Um but unfortunately it's eight o'clock uh tonight. But they're playing a really bad Ole Miss team. I mean Ole Miss is horrendous. They're ten and seventeen, two and twelve in the SEC one of the one of the worst teams in the conference you could argue they they are the worst, but they just about took down Mississippi State this past weekend, so they can still be a dangerous team a- anybody in the SEC as Jalen Williams said can can beat you and that is true that shouldn't happen, but it can and old Miss, again historically has given Auburn a lot of issues uh, as as we talked about the first time these two teams played, but Auburn dominated them. And they dominated them on the road. They won 82-73. to Really, the score is a little bit deceiving. Ole Miss got some late baskets there. Auburn dominated that game from start uh, to finish. And there's no reason Auburn should not do that again tonight. If they're locked in, if they're focused, if they play good basketball, it should not be close at all. This is a game that Auburn should definitely win by double digits. However, if they were not, if they were to struggle in this game, it would be because of Ole Miss's defense, it would be because Auburn is turning the ball over. And they're just extremely cold, uh, shooting. Again, this is, we, as we talked about before, Ole Miss is a tricky defensive team. They'll run that 1-3-1 zone. They'll, uh, morph into a 2-3. They'll even go some man-to-man. They're trying to create turnovers. They're trying to force you into bat passes. They've got their, you know, they'll use their length up there against Wendell Green to try to, to try to trap, uh, him. So, again, making good, clean passes, making smart decisions is going to be important and being able to knock down some open shots. But when you run that zone defense, it's going to open up a lot of open threes for these Auburn guards. So can Zeb Jasper. So can Alan Flanagan. So can um, excuse me, um, Katie Johnson knock down some open threes. Even Lior Berman can play an important role tonight, getting some open looks as well. That'll be key in this game. Bruce Pearl said it. There's not a ton of adjustments uh, for Auburn to make because they played well against Ole Miss last time out. So offensively, you're going to try to do a lot of what you did. Wendell Green, Janai Broom, both had really big games. I think Wendell was around 20 points. Janai was around 20 points uh, in in the last outing. So I would love to see Wendell have a big game tonight, uh, get back rolling, doing his thing. Uh, Auburn's front court should dominate again tonight. Janai Broom, Jalen Williams should have big, big nights as well. But if the guards are going off, they may not have to uh, have as big a nights as as they did against Vanderbilt. But given the opportunity, I think Auburn should still work through their front court as always and allow Janai Broom and Jalen Williams to go to work. But I certainly want to see uh, Wendell Green get back on track and have a good game tonight. Defensively, Auburn could make some adjustments. I mentioned. That Ole Miss made some shots. They actually shot really well against Auburn in the, in this first matchup. They're, they're one of the worst three-point shooting teams, if not the worst. They're actually worse than Auburn, if you can believe it, at three-point shooting uh, in the conference. They are really bad, but they shot really well uh, from behind the line against Auburn in the first matchup. Uh, Ty Fagan off the bench had a really good game. Matthew Morrell is a, actually a pretty solid guard. He's just on a bad team. Auburn needs to defend him better. He had over twenty points last time. I think Auburn will certainly look to take him away, similar to how they've done in how they did in the second matchup against Texas A and M with Wade Taylor. They really took him away. I think Auburn will look to do the same, keep him from getting to the basket. Part of the problem also against Ole Miss last time, like it was against Vanderbilt, like it's been in numerous games this season, fouling too much. They they allowed Ole Miss to get to the line, and that's the way that Ole Miss can stay in this game. If Matthew Morell and these other guards for Ole Miss are able to attack the basket and they're able to get to the free throw line, There, there's a way for Ole Miss to hang around and, and this thing could get dangerous late. So it's very important for Auburn to defend well, keep the guards from getting to the basket, force them into tough threes. They're not good at that. If you allow them to get to the basket, that opens up a lot of things, from open threes on uh, dish outs to to fouls. So defense will be the biggest adjustment I think uh, for Auburn in this game. But like I mentioned, not a ton of adjustments to make because of the way they played uh, last time, which is a good thing. Uh, Ole Miss will obviously be a lot differently trying to make big adjustments. This is an important bounce back game. Uh, to sum it up, important bounce back game. Another big win at home by double digits would do would do a lot of good uh, for this team moving to this final tough three game stretch that will start on Saturday and that segues uh, us right into this Kentucky game. Auburn will travel to Rupp on Saturday to face off against Kentucky. Auburn has fared fairly well against Kentucky, but they have not fared well against Kentucky at Rupp. Not many teams have. However, a South Carolina team did go in there and win at Rupp early in the season. This is a much, much different Kentucky team than we were talking about in January. I mentioned on the show briefly there was some mess, there was some drama, there was some anger uh, in Big Blue Nation up there in Lexington. This Kentucky team's still not an elite team this year, like some thought they would be. But they're a good team, and they figured out a lot of their issues that they had back in January. And, and give credit to uh, John Calipari up there to to withering, withering the storm. Uh, they beat they beat Tennessee twice now this year. They beat them at Tennessee. That was the turnaround. Their win at Tennessee turned their season around. And now they are uh they're still on the bubble for the NCAA tournament, but they are in a win against Auburn would really help their resume. Uh so it's gonna be a big game for them uh, most definitely on Saturday, just like it's a big game for Auburn. Both teams are, are are hovering around the bubble. So a win this is gonna be a quad one opportunity for both Auburn and Kentucky. So huge, huge game. A lot is at stake here. Um so, like I said, Kentucky's figured things out. They're not the same team that lost to South Carolina at home. It's not going to be easy going into Rupp and trying to win uh, there. Uh, this Kentucky team, though, like I said, they're good. They're not elite. They have some weaknesses. They are also not a very good three-point shooting team. Uh, that's going to bode well. My expectation in this game is it's going to be another low-scoring, ugly matchup, and I think it's going to come down to the wire. I do. I think Auburn's going to finally... It's going to have another chance to win a close game at the end. I think this game's going to finish in the 60s, and I, I really think in the end Auburn's going to have the opportunity to get that late bucket they haven't been able to get, to get that late stop that they haven't been able to get, and to finally win a game. And that would be a huge win and would, in my opinion, probably put them into the NCAA tournament uh, at that point if they're able to pull, pull off the win at Kentucky. But it's not going to be easy. Oscar Shibway is still there. He is a phenomenal player. Kentucky's number eight in the country, I think, at second-chance points. They get a ton of offensive rebounds. Janai Broom is going to have to play well. He's going to have to stay out of foul trouble. And, and Dylan Cardwell, when he's in there, if he's matched up against uh, Oscar Shibway as well, going to have to have a big game. Rebounding is going to be so crucial, I mean, of huge importance uh, on, on Saturday. And Lexington absolutely cannot let Kentucky... Just dominate you on the boards and get a, a a lot more second chance opportunities. Um because if they do, they're they're going to win. If they double you in the amount of shots that they get to take in this game, they're more than likely gonna make more, therefore they're gonna win. Fouls also gonna be a big issue. Oscar Shibuy does a good job drawing fouls. He's physical, he's but he's only six eight, so therefore he he's able to uh, draw more fouls that way. So it'll be a big matchup. It'll be another big test for Janai Broom. I am very much looking forward to watching this matchup, though. It's going to be a lot of fun. Jacob Toppin is playing really well. He's a forward for Kentucky, so that'll be a big matchup to watch as well. Scoring more for Kentucky now this year. Jalen Williams on him will, will be interesting to watch. How he's defended, how he he's also a very good defensive player, how he defends Jalen Williams uh, will be another key matchup. But I'm also a little bit concerned here uh about the guards. Uh Kentucky has length that guards Casey Wallace, six four freshman, uh, very talented player, not a great shooter, but he started he's starting now over Xavier Wheeler, who was a starting point guard last year and for most of the season for Kentucky. He now comes off the bench and Cason Wallace starts at point guard, how he defends against Wendell Green Auburn doesn't necessarily do poorly against bigger guards. Honestly, uh, Mignon for Vanderbilt was probably shorter than Wendell and defended him better than some large guards have. So maybe that's not, uh, gonna be an issue. We'll see, uh, how Wendell Green handles this game. His, his play is gonna be ever so important if Auburn's gonna be able to pull off this upset, as I mentioned throughout this whole show today. Then also the matchup, Chris Livingston, a three, probably a, a guard to forward type of player like Alan Flanagan. And that matchup will also be interesting to watch. And then what Spark does, Xavier Wheeler provide off the bench. Last year, he really did a great job getting to the basket against Auburn. Wendell really struggled to stay in front of him. But if he is coming off the bench, does that mean he's going to match up more with Trey Donaldson? That could be something to watch. And how does Trey Donaldson defend him uh, if they are on the court at the same time? So a lot of question marks. I, I really am unsure of how this game is going to go, part of me has a lot of confidence. Part of me feels like Auburn's going to get a good win tonight, and then they're going to pull off the upset at Ruff on Saturday. That That's that's my bias in uh, Auburn fan in me. Uh, but I know that it's going to be a tough game uh, Saturday in Ruff, and it's tough to win on the road. It's tough to win against good teams. But I just feel like if Auburn can keep it close, that they can just keep it close, that finally they're going to be able to finish out a close game. And I feel like that's going to come Saturday. I, because Kentucky's not a great offensive team. If Auburn can rebound well, I'm not saying they've got to win the rebound battle, but they've got to make it close. If they can rebound well, I think this team has, going to, is going to have a good shot to win the game because of their defense. Defense is supposed to travel. So as long as Kentucky doesn't have just insane game shooting, I like Auburn's chances to pull off the, uh, road win. At Rupp. So it's going to be an exciting week starting tonight. Uh, second to last home game, as I mentioned, against Ole Miss. And then Auburn will turn their attention. It'll be a 3 o'clock tip, I believe, on Saturday on the road at Rupp. Big opportunities await Auburn this week. Ole Miss is a must win tonight. Absolutely got to have it against a bad team. Saturday, not a must win, but a win that could possibly go ahead and steal your spot in the NCAA tournament. It's a big week, big opportunities yet again for this Auburn basketball team. And that's where we'll wrap it up for this segment. When we come back, we're discussing our hot topic of the week, rule changes in college football. You're not going to want to miss this segment. Make sure to stay tuned here to Talking Tumors. We'll be right back. I loved playing high school sports. I loved the... Welcome back now to our final segment here of talking Tumors. we just got a few minutes, so I'm going to have to go through it fairly quickly. But this week in an article released by Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated, he uh, discussed how College Football Rules Committee is discussing some possible changes uh, to clock and time in an attempt to speed up the game. The reasoning they gave was, in my opinion... Was quite dumb because it makes zero sense considering the other changes that have been made in college football. The reason given was for player safety and health. Well, you're going to a 12-game playoff. You're about to make a lot of teams play a lot more games. Uh, conferences are only getting better. You're about to have to travel further because of conference expansion. None of those things are good for player health or, or helping improve player health. But yes, let's, uh, let's change the the time of the game. That's really going to uh, change player health. Uh, I, I say that sarcastically. I'm for these rule changes. I just think the reasoning behind it is kind of is, is dumb. It's not kind of. It is dumb. Uh, but I'm for the rule changes cause I do believe the game needs to be sped up more for entertainment purposes than player safety purposes. But I do feel like you're seeing this in baseball with some of the rule changes that they're trying to make to speed up the game. College football games are way too long. NFL has it really does it really well. I wish college football just completely implement the NFL's time system. They're not going to do that completely, but if they do make some of these changes, it will help speed up the game. And I want to go ahead and address one thing that I've seen a lot of people criticize. Well, the TV timeouts. They're not going to cut that. They changed the game. They're not going to cut the TV timeouts. You're right. They're not. That's where your money comes from. So in my opinion, there's no reason to even fuss about that or debate about that because your money comes from the commercial, so that's not going to change. So why uh even even get angry about about that part of it um, it it's just a useless argument and it's a waste of time, so I'm not gonna dive into that. I just wanted to mention that uh because I know that's gonna be some people's response to these uh, rule changes and in fact, according to Brandon Marcello, a study was done of uh, that games without t v timeouts compared to games with t v timeouts in college were only uh two minutes shorter, so that also kind of throws the argument out the window. And one of the things also differentiating between NFL and college, college games are also longer because their times are seven minutes, or I'm not doing math right, eight minutes longer. Uh they're 20 minutes in college, that's not going to be shut down or shortened because uh, bands in NFL it's 12 minutes, a lot shorter. So that speeds up uh, the games as well. So like I said, I wish the, uh, college would go completely to NFL time rules. Their games end uh, are a lot more efficient, usually around three hours or less. College football is averaging over three hours. These rules will help. It will help bring the time down a little bit. We'll see what type of impact. So let's get into these rules real quick in case you missed them. Number one, prohibiting consecutive timeouts. That means if you're icing a kicker and you've got three timeouts, you can't call three timeouts. You can call one. That's it. Not going to have that much difference. Uh, not going to change much. Everybody's, yeah, that's fine. No one really cares that much about that one no untimed downs meaning if there's a defensive penalty right before the end of a quarter or half you get the untimed down um that's not going to happen except at the end, at the end of a half it won't happen in the first and third quarter these are the big ones number 3 clock runs after first down except inside 2 minutes i like this i'm all for this i do believe this rule will get passed as well there's thought that it could take maybe seven plays out of a game um I, I haven't liked clock stopping for first down. And the NFL it doesn't stop at all. I'm for, I'm okay with leaving it with two minutes to stop it inside two minutes. But I agree that it should keep running. It could change a little bit how you do things offensively. I don't think it will have that big of an impact though. Um, as far as games go, uh, offensively, I think it's a very good rule change. I do think it will, it will speed up the game a lot. Uh, I, Seven plays is not that much as far as time goes, but overall, I think clock continue to run after first downs will, uh, speed up the game more drastically than you might expect. I mean, drastically, you're talking 10, 15 minutes, and I think it could have that level, uh, of impact on the game. We'll see. If it is passed again, these are all proposals. I don't know if they, if any of them will be passed, if all of them will be passed, uh, we'll see. The last one is, I'll I be shocked. If it is passed, I am not for it being passed. That is, clock runs on incompletions once ball is spotted. This completely changes the game. It it completely changes how you would do things offensively. I don't even want to go there imagining how you would have to change up uh way offenses worked. This this makes football a completely different game, in my opinion. It makes it nearly like a a soccer where the clock continuously runs. do not like this rule at all because it completely changes the game. The other three does, does not change the game. This fourth rule changes the game. It, it, I I would be surprised if it were to pass. I'm surprised it even got to this stand, uh, this point though, to where it's even being proposed. Uh, I again, I don't even want to go there with this one. I I think that's a dumb rule. Uh, it it should be thrown out. The first three, absolutely. I hope they all pass. This one, absolutely not. But let me know your thoughts. Uh, you know, you can send me your thoughts uh, on social media, uh, at, at talking tumors, uh text me if you know who I am or have my number. Uh I'd love to hear love to hear your thoughts on these possible rule changes to college football. I'd like to see some changes to reviews, as I mentioned before when I've talked about officiating on the show. I like the way the NFL does officiating uh reviews as well, coming down from the box. They don't have to stop playing, referees have to go look at a screen. Uh, also giving coaches challenges that also could be possible. I didn't mention it wasn't in this rule proposal, but challenges could be coming to college football as well. So something to keep your eye on. And with that, we'll have to wrap up the show today, but thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot to talk about with ba- basketball and baseball next week. We'll try to find some time to talk a little bit spring football here at Auburn, but, But thank you all again for tuning in and we'll see you next Wednesday here on Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Thank you for listening to Talking Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com and follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle, and see you next time.